If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Let us bow our heads together. Freedom without favor, equality without exception. That's the tweet. We think you might prefer TikTok, holy one, but that's it. Freedom without favor, equality without exception. That's the tweet, also known as the prayer, the vibe, the thought, the intercession, the devotion, the meditation, the invocation, the way, the canter, the liturgy, the plea, the petition, the intention, the reflection, the hope, the request, also known as the work, particularly the work of white Christian America, whose dogma is too often used as an excuse to take freedom from others by denying everyone else the right to choose, the permission to practice, or otherwise prevent them from the sacred task of working out their own salvation with fear and trembling in the same way we do, or at least claim to. We are each other's keeper Seekers, doubters, believers, atheists, agnostics, apologists, the born again, and those born just fine the first time. For as Brother Martin said, a threat to injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice everywhere. Help us to be ever mindful, Holy One, that Jesus was not a Christian, and we pray faithfully in his blessed name. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 1 through 18. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, um, in, a, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done in, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Just so we're clear from the outset, we know the main character of this story by a different name, not Saul, but Paul. We aren't told of this shift until four chapters from now in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, but Saul, also known as Paul, I mean, it's a really quick aside, but from that point on, it's Paul. But in this story and today, we're focusing on Saul. That's the name the voice from heaven calls out. Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? According to scholar Pamela Eisenbaum, a more accurate translation of the words Saul's, Saul hears are Saul! Saul! Why are you hurting me? Those are the words Saul hears suddenly out of nowhere, accompanied by a flash of incapacitating light somewhere along the road between Jerusalem and Damascus. Why are you hurting me? When the text is translated this way, it is very hard not to think of others who have asked something similar. The last words of Kenneth Chamberlain were, Officers, why do you have your guns out? Chamberlain was fatally shot seconds later, even though they were supposed to be there to respond to a medical crisis. Trayvon Martin, an unarmed black teenager, asked, Why are you following me for? While holding 
a bag of Skittles. And then he was shot. The last words of Michael Brown, another armed black teenager, were, I don't have a gun, stop shooting, before the police shot him six times, including twice in the head. We will have to wait to know the last words of the black Americans gunned down by a white supremacist as they shopped for groceries on Saturday, but it will inevitably be some version of, why are you hurting me? We learn, along with Saul, that the speaker of the words in our story is the crucified and risen Jesus, who is so identified with people who are under threat and facing oppression, so thoroughly in solidarity with them, that the scripture says that when they suffer, Jesus suffers. Saul was confronted with that truth, that whenever other beings are harmed, Everything that is sacred is harmed. And I want to pause here to note that in a world where Nazi flags still fly, it is important to say a word about what is going on in this story. It is important to clarify that Saul was not wrong because he was Jewish. Saul was not converted to a new religion on the road to Damascus. Saul was not a Christian. Paul was not a Christian because they were the same person. Saul remained Jewish throughout his life based on his own testimony, I am a Jew, he reminded the tribunal in Acts chapter 21 and again in Acts 22. In the moment in question, the problem was not his Jewishness, but the harm he was doing. Why are you hurting me? The story tells us that that information was quite a shock for Saul. He was on a mission, sanctioned by the higher-ups. Saul carried with him letters of dispensation from the high priests. This was about law and order. Do the crime, do the time. In first century Palestine, the temple elite collaborated with Rome in targeting followers of Jesus because these leaders were afraid of alienating or challenging Rome. There was no doubt that Saul believed he was doing the right thing, serving the greater good in rounding up blasphemers who threatened to bring down the wrath of Rome on all of Israel. As the high priest Caiaphas had said in the run-up to Jesus' arrest, better that one man die for the people than a whole nation perish. Except that it's never just one life. It never just stops with one act of violence. Violence begets violence. But Paul is, Saul is stopped in his tracks on the road to Damascus. He had intended to lead Jesus' followers in chains back to Jerusalem. Instead, he is led by hand to Damascus, where he will join these followers, made blind by the experience on the side of the road. And it is important to say a word now about how this story uses disability as tragedy. Blindness, we are reminded by theologian Nicola Torbett, 
is used frequently in the New Testament to call into question who can actually perceive what is happening, and in contrast, those whose understanding is compromised by their commitment to a worldview that is counter to God's view. Hesitation or caution is important in using blindness as a metaphor, since figurative blindness in a world designed for people with sight has a real impact on people who are blind and for whom the metaphor is rarely, if ever, helpful. At the same time, this scriptural use of the metaphor is consistent with the social view of disability, which recognizes that social conditions disable others. In this case, the social conditions consisted of a dominant worldview that identified those in power as being good and righteous, and those who are being oppressed as sinful and in need of correction or punishment. As Ched Myers points out in Binding the Strong Man, the story of Jesus' healing of a blind man in Mark 8 is sandwiched between two stories of the disciples failing to perceive what Jesus is about because they are still caught up in an old way of understanding. And this is also true of Saul, who is rendered unable to see in order to have his view of the world corrected. When his sight is restored, he views things entirely differently. Those who were his mortal enemies are now his healers and friends. But some other things had to happen in order for that to happen. When we teach this story to our children, we ask them to look for the helpers, just like Mr. Rogers told us to do. When things are scary, look for the helpers. And in this story, those helpers are the only reason Saul recovers himself, stops hurting people, and becomes the most recognized evangelist of all time, even without a TikTok account. The text tells us that the men who were traveling with Saul led him by the hand into Damascus, and they might be counted as helpers, but maybe more so out of obligation or obedience as subordinates, since they were part of Saul's group already. It, it, it sounds like they, they drop him off at an Airbnb, which may not have been the very least they could do, but it was pretty close. Remember that this text tells us that Saul did not eat or drink for three days. Enter Ananias. At first, things seem to be going as they should. Hearing God call his name, Ananias responds with the biblical, Hanani, which is translated, here I am. You'll recall hearing Abraham respond to God that way in Genesis, as well as the boy Samuel, when God roused him from sleep in the middle of the night. It is an enthusiastic reply, Hanani, here I am. Let's try it. Hanani on three. One, two, three. Hanani! Okay. We're going to do it again. 
Hanani on three, one, two, three, Hanani! Okay, so that's what Ananias says at first. But then things take a turn. God would like Ananias to care for Saul. And God feels so strongly about this, God gives Ananias a street address to go visit the guy who is notorious for wanting to arrest and or execute people like Ananias. And so quite reasonably, Ananias becomes decidedly less enthusiastic. I love Ananias for this. He is my patron saint. As you overhear every week, I speak plainly to God in prayer and in sermonizing. Not everyone appreciates this. I have been accused of, quote, making Jesus too pedestrian and being too cavalier in my conversations with God. But I'll tell you, the folks with those concerns are going to be really stunned if they ever, ever actually read the Bible. This story is a great example. God tells Ananias to get up and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And instead of contorting himself into Mr. Congeniality for God, Ananias says, and this is a paraphrase, do you know who this dude bro is? <laughs> he is killing us literally, actually killing us. In chapter 7, Saul provided security for the people who stoned Stephen. In chapter 8, Saul is described as ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. Given how clear it is that Saul was a violent, active, resourceful persecutor of the young church community, it's no wonder that Ananias says, you need to rethink this, God. Ananias is, at best, not polite about it, and at worst, aggressively defiant. But notice that God does not strike down Ananias. God does not say, don't you take that tone with me. God does not get cranky. Instead, God, Elizabeth Warren's the situation. She persisted. Go. And God bless him, Ananias went. And what happened? I, well, the rest of the story. This is, I will say, a wildly heretical take, but I suggest to you that the most powerful part of this story isn't Saul's experience on the road. It isn't the bright light. It isn't the voice from heaven. It isn't even the claim that it was Jesus who was speaking to Saul. I mean, Jesus may have stopped Saul in his tracks, but it was Ananias who changed Saul's outlook. As we teach our children in Vacation Bible School next month, when things look down, God uses us to turn things around. And that's what happened in this story. Saul remained in the dark until Ananias found him, took care of his physical and spiritual needs, and then and only then did Saul's worldview shift, change, come into focus. 
how different this story might have been had it not been for Ananias and his courageous faith. And what a story for us in this particular moment when there is so much yelling, so much noise, so much at stake. Who, who among us is going to set the tone? Who is going to embody the justice, mercy, and love of God in the midst of white supremacy and gun violence, in the throes of culture wars, in the fight for democracy, in this age of truthiness? That has to be us, y'all. It has to be. Just as Ananias was the midwife of Saul's new consciousness, we too are being called by God to tend to one another in such a way that all of our worldviews shift and we see each other more clearly. To follow the example of Ananias, we must put flesh on our faith. We must love people well. God is calling us. Or rather, God is sending us to Straight Street, otherwise known as the Capitol on 23rd and Lincoln, or to the school board meeting, or to our next door neighbor's front porch, or to the Corporation Commission. God is trusting us with the work of mending, patching, healing, restoring, and building a bigger table. So we're going to try that call and response again. You remember the one from Abraham and Samuel and Ananias. I mean, somebody's got to get next in line. How, how will we respond when God calls Hanani on three, one, two, three? Hanani! Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.